In John 20, verse number 19, the Bible says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us. I want you to pray for you. God wants to clarify some things in our lives this morning. And God wants us to get a strong recapturing of the big picture mission of us in this generation. Us, the church. So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I welcome preaching unction right now. I don't just want it, I need it. I require it this morning. Lord, to be able to bring forth a word that'll help your people, that'll help us as one body to magnify the Son of God in our community and beyond our community, Lord, all across the oceans in so many different directions. God, we want to be able to be used by you. We want to break the mold of the Bible Belt churchianity, and we want to press in to be a revolutionary force in the kingdom, to take the gospel with a heart of sacrifice and a will of iron commitment, to be able to proclaim the name that is above every other name known in existence, the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord over every Lord and the King over every King. So Father, break us out of the nightmare called the American dream, where we're born and we live and we are educated and we get a career and we earn money and we put money away and we retire and we die. Lord Jesus, break that off of us and give us a taste of what it means to be radically sold out for the kingdom that is here and now and coming soon. In Jesus' awesome name, amen, amen, and amen. So I'm going to give you two aspects of mission. And um, I'm a bottom line guy. If you're new here, um, I'm one of the pastors here. My name's Jeff Lyle. I'm just a bottom line guy. I'm, I, I just try to bring it down to shoe leather. And so I like to simplify things. When I think of the mission that God has in, is entrusted to the church and specifically us in this generation, I'm just going to break it down into two parts. Both of these parts are heavily representative of who we are as a mission base and a lot of the activity that's going on here. And so let's think about the first part of it. I'm going to call this our never-ending vertical mission. We have a vertical mission, and I'll just go ahead and tell you this. This is the part of the mission that never ends. It never, ever, ever, ever ends. It is our never-ending vertical mission. What am I talking about? I'm talking about our high-calling being consistently and eternally to glorify God, 
to magnify the glory of God, to testify to the glory of God, to be awed by the glory of God. And before you mentally check out, because it's not overly pragmatic, at least that's the way we initially receive it, I want you to know there is no greater calling on any of us than to stand in the presence of God and be awed by his goodness and be awed by his glory. Because it's in the presence of God that we are transformed into the likeness of the Son of God. And that is what we are going to be doing forever and ever and ever. There won't be any evangelizing in, in the eternal state. There's not going to be any discipleship in the eternal state. There will simply be a body of redeemed people, the bride of Jesus Christ, experiencing his unfiltered presence in our glorified bodies so we can soak in as much of him as we can take, but it's never going to end. It's going to go on and on and on. But we don't wait till we get to heaven to do that. So let's give you a couple of verses here and... and I'm going to give you something out of 1 Peter chapter 4. This is the goal. This is your life goal. You may not be aware of it. You may be kind of intermittently departing from it. But this is the goal of the Christian's life. And it is to glorify God. Very simply put, one simple verse. 1 Peter 4 verse 11. That God in all things, say all things, may be glorified. Now listen, you've got to wrap your life in something. You have to wrap your life in something. If you don't wrap your life in something, somebody's going to wrap up your life for you. And so we get to determine, what a great gift, we get to determine what we're going to do with our lives. And for the believer, that determination is who I am, what I do, what I have, how I live, what I communicate, all that encompasses my earthly life, I am going to intentionally glorify God with all that I am. Now, that never happens on accident, right? You, we don't stumble into that. And so it is an intense thing that literally this never-ending part of our mission, this vertical aspect, is intense that who we are, what we have, what we do, all that we put our hand to, and all things that we want to bring God glory. We want to recognize the glory that he is, that he has, and we also want to ascribe to a, 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 a world that is ignorant of who he is. We want to be able to reveal that glory. Well, obviously, we need a little bit more than that. It's not time to dismiss because we really want to talk about how are we going to do that? How are we going to do it as a body of believers? Well, let me go a little bit further into this unpacking. It, it requires a commitment to glorify God. There has to be a commitment. There needs to be a once-for-all selling-out moment in your life where you say, I am not my own. I am bought with a price, and the life, that, the grace that was given to me was not in vain. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul just puts it this way. The most mundane things in life, whether you drink or whether you eat, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Paul picks something as mundane as your most basic staple needs, something to drink and something to eat. And Paul says, even as, in something as repetitive as that, even as something as basic as that, raise your awareness that even in the mundane things of life, intentionally make yourself aware of glorifying God. You see, we think about God and we think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we talk about living a life that glorifies him, we're talking about respecting God the Father who gave us life. We're talking about honoring God the Son who gave his life for us. And we're talking about staying in unison with the Holy Spirit 
who breathes his life through us into a world. And so we look at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we recognize the glorious privilege that he's given us to not only partner with him in life, but also to live the life that he's given us intentionally in a way that tells everybody who he is. So go a little further, y'all stay with me. It gets a little more practical the further we go into it. But friends, I don't want to bypass this, and I'll tell you why in a moment. When we're thinking about the glory of God and our mission to glorify God in the earth, we need to know two things about his glory. The first is this, the intrinsic glory of God. That's a, that's a theological word, but it just simply it, it reminds us that God is supremely glorious in and of himself. Before there was ever an angel, before there was ever a human, there existed the Godhead beyond time, beyond space, beyond matter, and he was glorious. There was nobody to behold his glory. There was nobody to sing of his glory. There was nobody to submit to his glory, but he was glorious. He is intrinsically, eternally, before time ever was, he was as glorious then, if we can put it that way, as he is today. He has not grown in glory. He has not diminished in glory. He is intrinsically glory. Let me give you a couple of references from Acts chapter number seven, verse two. He is called there the God of glory. It's not a side component. His nature is glorious. In uh, Isaiah 48, verse 11, we are reminded with that familiar verse that God refuses to share his glory with another. That's why he hates pride. He hates my pride. He hates your pride because our, 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 our little puny attempts to be proud and bowed up are nothing other than saying, I have glory. And we don't have any glory except imputed glory that God gives us and will fulfill. But our pride says, I am glorious. And God says, not so much. He says, I am glorious. And I will not share my glory with another. And then in Romans 3.23, we're told that we've all fallen short of his glory. No man, no woman can approach his glory or obtain his glory. Why? Because it is intrinsically his it is an altogether different glory than even we will experience in our fully glorified bodies in eternity. We have to have glorified bodies to be able to survive being in the presence of his unfiltered glory in heaven. I hear you. I have the gift of interpretation. That was a, a one-year-old saying, glory! <laughs> we spend most of our time thinking on the other portion of God's glory, not as intrinsic glory, but as ascribed glory. My wife read those verses today and talked about giving God the glory, and we do that in so many ways. Uh, let me give you a couple of them here. Um, when we're talking about the ascribed glory of God, we have to get this and we have to remember it. Humankind is created to reveal and proclaim the glory of God. This is part of our mission, friends. There's a reason why Newbridge Church wanted, in the human part, to partner with IHOP Atlanta. Why? Because it is a 24-7 prayer and worship ministry. In other words, this ministry that has been going on for more than 12 years down the street from this location was uh, founded for the express purpose of going vertical because they understood at that time when they founded it that that was the core of who we are as people. We are here to ascribe to God glory. It is literally ministry under the Lord. 
It is telling him that we recognize his glory, his intrinsic value, his inestimable riches of who he is. And so when we partnered together with this, one of the joys of my heart and Dustin Pennington's heart, as we partner with Billy and Gabe and IHOP Atlanta and the two communities come together, is we realize we don't have to spend 15 years trying to figure out how to build this part of the mission because it was right down the street and we get to come together with it. See, the, the, let me just give you this. The prayer room's not a novelty. It's not some kind of like, thing on the side. It is a very unique expression of the highest calling on the Christian's life, which is to worship and enjoy God forever. That is why that place has been there. Those people have been there. That's why they sacrifice. And so part of our mission, the core of our mission, will be to remain vertically oriented and who we are, and from that place of worship and awe and presence and power and abiding, we will receive what I'm going to talk about in a moment, which is the horizontal mission. Before we go there, let me give you a couple of things. Uh, when we're talking about the ascribing of the glory of God, let me read you from Psalm 29, verse number 2. It's very simple. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Again, I want to submit to you, this will never happen accidentally in a Christian's life. If we do not say to ourselves, I am crossing this line of cultural Christianity, which can be appeased by a, an appearance in a church house on a Sunday, a 10% of my income in the plate, even if people come to that place, and then, you know, a couple of good deeds during the year, that's cultural Christianity. Now, God's not going to strike you dead if you're born again, and that's just where you are right now. But I am going to tell you this, the Holy Spirit's working in the room this morning to call you unto something greater. Yeah, yeah. A greater ex expression, a greater stewarding of your life that it might ascribe unto God the glory to his name. Now, I don't think any of us would stand up, including myself right now, and say, Jeff, I, I am giving God always the glory due unto his name. Well, let me ask your spouse and let her tell me if that's the truth. The reality is, is we have to press through into this. It requires a submitted heart. It requires an oriented heart there that we tune out the, the stuff that encroaches upon our minds and our time and all of the things that kind of get their little grappling hooks into us and pull us in different directions. And the psalmist just cries out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, give them the glory. Don't just give them some glory. Give him the highest glory. Give him the glory that is due unto his name. So what does that look like? Well, I can't break it all down, but I am going to give you some. How do we give God the glory? Well, in part, it's in what we say. Let me read you. These verses won't be up on the screen, but when we're talking about God commissioning us to make his glory known, we're thinking about verbally. 1 Chronicles 16, verses 24 through 29. Let me just read them. Declare God's glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Bring an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Listen to the appeal of God through the writer, through the chronicler. 
It is God motivating, inspiring, putting these words in our Bible. They're inscripturated. Why? Because they always reveal the heart of God. God is always calling his people as the one who is the only one who is worthy to be worshipped and adored and applauded and, and loved and, and, and submitted to. He's the only one worthy. And so God's constantly saying, I want you to do that for me. I want you to acknowledge me. I want you to bow to me. I want you to worship me. I want you to proclaim my glory in a world that seeks to steal my glory. Do you remember the original reason why Satan, why Lucifer was evicted from heaven? Do you remember what he wanted? Tell me what he wanted. He wanted the glory. And God said that you cannot have my glory. And as a matter of fact, I cast you down to the earth for even presuming to have my glory. But Satan hadn't quit. That's all he's ever wanted. That's why he got Jesus in the temptation and said, bow down to me, bow down to me, bow down to me. You see, the enemy has always wanted what God has reserved for himself, and that is the glory. And what God does is he invites you and I as believers to participate in the glorification of his name in our generation. And we do that by intentionally verbalizing that, by telling people, by reflecting in our words, not only the, the actual words, but the spirit behind those words. It's not just in what we say, though. It's also in how we think. And this may be the, the greatest challenge, I think, in a distracted generation is glorifying God in the mind, being renewed in the spirit of your mind because your mind is really the control center of your whole life. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8, listen to what Paul wrote. Paul said, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God, he's talking about the gospel there, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you understand what Paul's saying there? Paul is saying that those that were in power when Jesus was upon the earth were absent of the ability in their minds to understand the gospel, to understand the Messiah was there, to understand the riches of the glory of Jesus Christ. And because they did not glorify God in their minds, but they hardened their hearts, what did they do? They crucified the Son of God. Why? Because the spirit of this world, the God of this world, had blinded them to the gospel. Their minds were darkened. Brothers and sisters, Christians, beloved of God, I know you're saved. And I praise God for that. I'm so grateful that our sins have been expunged by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm happy that we're going to spend eternity with the Son of God. Uh, wherever he is for eternity, people have asked me over the years, well, Jeff, where is heaven geographically? What does it consist of? All I tell them is this, look, I just want to be where Jesus is. If Jesus is, in he is not in heaven, I don't want to go. I just want to be where he is. So let's not think geography. Let's think about glory in this essence. How we think determines. Listen, I'm just going to ask you, and I, I'm, I'm, I probably need to do some confession, confessing myself because the last two weeks I've been living a distracted life. I'm, I'm just going to confess this so you guys don't think I'm up here pointing the finger telling you how you ought to live. I'm in the same thing that you're in. And the junk that pulls on you pulls on me. And there are so many little barbs out there that our thought life can get hung up on, and we don't go any further than when our, wherever our mind is currently hung up on. That's why we're called to glorify him in our thinking. It requires quiet. It requires intentionality. It requires you looking at everything else in life and shutting the door and saying no. We also glorify God. We ascribe God glory in how we live. Let me give you 1 Corinthians 6.20 and... A verse from Philippians. Listen to this. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Here we go. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What is he talking about there? A lot of people want to use this and talk about physical fitness and going out and working out and all that stuff and six-pack abs. I tell people all the time, I've got six-pack abs. I keep them in a well-insulated cooler. And it's, but I've got them. I've got them. <laughs> Paul isn't talking about going to the gym there. Let me tell you what he is talking about. He's talking about living your life, the physical life, the life you live in your body. Live it for the glory of God. That means where you work, where you go to school, walking in the home. How you, how you portray yourself to others. Listen, people have said over the years, maybe you have, I'm sure I have at times, I don't care what people think about me. We actually should. We shouldn't be controlled by what people think about us. But we absolutely should care what people think about us. Why? Because we are a reflection of Jesus Christ. We glorify the Lord with how we are living. It's what we say, it's what we're thinking, and it's how we're living our life. Paul said to the church at Philippi in chapter 1, verse 20, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. What is Paul saying there? Paul's saying, I'm at a place in my life where I am constantly laying my life down. Paul always knew that he might die the next day. He constantly was living in a state of surrender where he was willing to give his physical life. And he said, earlier he had said, I'm not my own. I, if, if you're going to ask me what I think one of the biggest messages that we have to get through in this generation, I'm not talking about millennials or Generation Y, I'm talking about all of us that are living right now, we have to recognize that we actually don't retain ownership rights over our own lives. We really don't. I know you were brought up as an independent American, most of you, and you were taught to, to fight and scrap and clamor and climb and get your way to the top. And when you've gotten up there, guess what you can do? You can say, glory! It's the exact opposite of the gospel. You see, when we were saved, we were purchased. We were bought. And then we were set into this vertical mission that is never, ever going to end. God expects and offers us the opportunity right now to get in on by faith what we will be doing uh, for eternity by sight. You won't need faith in eternity. You will be thunderstruck. There's no proper verbiage to describe how overwhelmingly undone we will be with the glory of God in eternity. But my goodness, God actually is supremely pleased when we start living for that glory, his glory, now, by faith. You see, that is the apex of faith that we recognize. I'm not my own. On my own, I was damned. On my own, I was condemned. On my own, I was irreparably broken. On my own, I was a cast out. On my own, I was in bondage. On my own, I was a child of darkness. On my own, I was a child of the devil. We don't want to be on our own. We don't want to own ourselves. Why? Because we were ransomed by the Son of God who broke into all that darkness, broke into that death, broke into that bondage, broke into those chains, and ransomed us with the precious price of his very own blood. He died that we might live. He took upon the condemnation that we might be justified and freed. 
And so that part of that transaction was not Jesus just handing us a ticket to heaven and saying, we'll check back in with each other when you get there. He gave us a mission. So the vertical mission is to stay oriented. You cannot, listen, I'm, I'm just going to pastor you for a moment here. You cannot stay vertically oriented by coming to church one Sunday a week. It's not going to work. I promise you, I'm not being ugly, I'm being real. It, it's not going to work. You, we can no longer treat a Sunday service or even a midweek service as coming in and getting our fix for whatever we need so we can be juiced until the next Sunday. We spend the vast majority of our lives outside of these communal gatherings, and we are to go out to a world. And so what does it mean? It means there, there's, there needs to be an intentionality in our heart where we say, Jesus, before I leave this house today and encounter those things called people, I need to orient myself with you. I need to experience your glory. I need to see, I need to just get with you. And it's when we get a glimpse of him or a long stare, an abiding look, and we go out in that, we're vertically oriented, and that's when we get to do the rest of what you came to hear about today. Say, so Jeff, we came to hear about mission. Let me tell you why I think it's so important that we stay. We need to, forgive the type A kind of language here, but we need to hammer vertical orientation because this is what we do in the Bible Belt and, and, and in other places. We bypass the vertical and launch into the horizontal mission. We just go out because we've confused busyness with blessedness. And so, well, listen, give me something to do. Give me something. Listen, I am a type A doer. I, I don't like to sit still. My, when we got married, can I tell this? I can. I can. So when we got married, I mean, it was just a crazy thing. Amy would tell me, you know, after the first month of marriage, you know, you're always talking in your sleep. You're always moving in your sleep. There were times where she would wake up at 3 in the morning, and I'm standing in the corner of the room, and she's like, honey! I'm like, oh, what, what? Lay back down. You're asleep. It's crazy. I don't like to sit still. I'm just juiced that way. And, but, but when it comes to ministry, what I found out is that a lot of momentum, a lot of kinetic energy, a lot of movement, that impresses people. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't bear lasting fruit if we're not vertically oriented. It's impressive to man. And by the way, we're all way too easily impressed. But it doesn't impress the Lord because the Lord, Lord doesn't just send us out to go do stuff for him. He invites us to abide in him so he, we can do stuff with him. Yeah. That's what he's really interested yeah. in. And so well, let me just get to it. So this, this vertical mission, from it flows a present, right now, horizontal mission. Vertical mission is never ending. It'll never stop. It is our highest privilege to be in the presence of God, to hear his voice, to experience his love, sometimes to sit in awed silence. And friends, we're only getting like little glimpses down here, just tiny little glimpses. The vast majority of the glory of God, no human being nor angel has ever fully seen. And so we're going to experience greater revelation of who he is, his glory, his immensity, his beauty, all of that as time goes. And from that, as we abide in that place, that beautiful place of identity and empowerment, he says, go forth with me. Go forth with me. Go forth for what, Lord? To make his glory known among the peoples. 
So what does that look like? So let me just ask the question. What should be the mission of the church? Let me let you chew on that while I take a sip. What should be the mission of the church? Because all churches aren't doing the same thing, right? You, you could talk to a, a group over here, and they'll say, this is the mission of the church. They love Jesus. Talk to a group over here, same question, different answer. You go across the sea to a different part of the world, you ask that same question, entirely different answer than those two. What is the mission of the church? How do we discover it? How do we find it out? Well, let's think about this. Um, it's my opinion that the church is the creation of the Father. The church was created by the Father. It's founded and owned by Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church. Those are the words of God the Son. The church is directed and the church is energized by God the Spirit. Created by God the Father, owned by God the Son, energized by God the Spirit. And so it behooves us to find out what God says is the mission of his church. Most people, when they think mission, they're actually hearing the word strategy. And we think techniques. How are we going to do things? I'm talking about big picture, 10,000 foot view. What is the mission of the church? And I want to break it down into three simple components for you. I've already talked about vertical. We'll, we'll circle back to that before we close. But let me give you this, outwardly. What is the outward mission of the church? Well, it's to make disciples, right? I mean, we know that, right? How many times have we heard the sermon on Matthew 28, uh, 28 and, and the preacher makes us all feel guilty because we don't pass out gospel tracts? We haven't discipled 19 people this year. It's, I gotta, we got to take the churchified element out of it and just go back to the organic moment when Jesus was talking to a group of people right before he was about to ascend back to heaven. What did he say? What did he leave us with? Well, Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. You go, therefore, because he has all authority and because we belong to him, therefore, my church, you all go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And then Jesus gives this promise, and he says, and I'm going to be with you. So outwardly, the mission of the church hasn't changed for 2,000 years. I know that culture has changed. I know that in the last 40 years, American culture is not now what it was then, 40 years ago. And if we're not careful, we will subject the mission of the church to the climate of the culture. And, and we'll say, yeah, I, well, that's the way Grandpa used to do it. But, you know, we're a little more advanced. My friends, if you advance beyond what Scripture says we are to be doing with our lives, then we've advanced too far. So we're to make disciples. That can be done. It is typically done on an individual basis, and it's more. It's not, it's not that you can't use a course book in 12 weeks, but you can use a course book in 12 weeks, and that is not the guarantee that you come out on the back end of that as a disciple. See, discipleship is partnering with somebody for an undefined amount of time and, and somebody that is typically a little further along with you in the walk with Jesus 
and they help you go where they have been and then you continue to go and then when you reach a certain spot you begin to make disciples and by the way that certain spot is often a lie of the devil it tells you you got to be saved 15 20 years before you can make disciples my friend all you got to do is find somebody that's three steps behind you and bring them to where you are and then you continue to walk you can do it individually and we must do it individually it's about doing life together discipleship is much more organic than it is academic it's relational it simply means two people that are falling in love with the glorious God Almighty want to walk together and prefer one another and better one another and one of them takes the lead on that and helps to kind of groom somebody into the kingdom beautiful friendships are birthed through that sometimes it's in a classroom setting and I am 100% for it sometimes it's even in a preaching setting but right here you're not really getting discipled you're getting exhorted and so what we're really talking about, we're talking about doing life intentionally with another person so that what God's put on you gets on them. And friends, it's one of the most beautiful things. I think probably one of my favorite things, the Apostle John probably kind of put this in our hearts as leaders, is when you see somebody that you remember when they were a newborn believer and now they're walking in truth. And you say, I've got no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. The church has been doing this for 2,000 years. By the way, you're the byproduct of somebody who got discipled enough to bring you to Christ. So somebody discipled back in the day, and whoever discipled them uh, is going to get reward because that person they discipled, discipled you, brought you into the kingdom. We're all a product of somebody else's labors. We don't need to drop our plow in this generation. And so we talk about, yes, evangelizing. That's part of the mission, evangelism. There's lots of opportunities to do evangelism. And I love programs. I love fixed dates and times where you go somewhere and share the gospel. To me, evangelism is very organic. It's like where I go, because I've gotten vertically oriented that morning, I trust that the Lord is going to make known in the moment when I'm seeking, Lord, who can I share you with today? Who can I speak to today? Lord, who can I brag on you to today? Lord, who can we do this? Listen, evangelism is not a program. It's a lifestyle. And you don't have to have the gift of evangelism because it's not in the Bible. We talk about what we love, right? Yeah. I'm not going to guilt you. Y'all relax. Y'all are clinching because you're thinking, here it comes, here it comes. I'm just saying we talk about what we love. And when we get vertically oriented, we love him more because we realize how much he loves us. That's the biblical pattern. We love you because you first loved us. And we just go out and we talk about whom we love. And yes, there is training involved. There's partnering in life. And eventually, one of the most beautiful aspects of discipling somebody, working with somebody, is that you release them. You know, my daughter is legally an adult. She's graduated, and I got a little mopey, man. I'm, I'm, I was just sitting there. I've got, like, this shrine in my bathroom over at the office. It's just pictures of my family everywhere. And I was just sitting there, and I was looking at the walls. And I was like, that little girl has done gone and grown up on me. How dare she? Some wonderful young man's going to come and whisk her away someday, and I'm going to look at Amy and say, what happened? She's gone. But here's the thing. you got to release them someday. We release those that we disciple too. Why? Because at some point, they've got to be free, and there's somebody else waiting in the wings for you and I to pour our life into. So going further, the inward mission of the church. So outward and inward. Listen, this is part of the mission of the church as given by Scripture. It doesn't get as much press as the outward does. But the inward is to mutually serve and to edify one another. That's, that's Bible. 
See, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and the church is likened in Scripture to a building that is becoming a completed temple for, the, for hosting the presence of God. Jesus Christ designed his church to visibly display what real family is on earth. And the family component of our mission is that we might build each other up in this life. Let me give you this, okay? It's a little OCD probably on my end, but that's just kind of the way I'm wired. I literally think this way. Everything that escapes my mouth is going to build up or tear down. I literally believe that. Power of life and death are in the tongue. It's either given life or it's taking life. And so in moments where I'm vertically oriented, I'm walking that out and I'm in the spirit, that, that my, my joy and my, my instinct is to build people up with my words. But literally, five minutes out of that awareness of my orientation, and those same words can tear down. But we are literally given a mission to build each other up. How many of you know that the world system is set, it is established by the prince of the power of the air to destroy you? To destroy you, to tear you apart, to viciously, mercilessly shred you, to shred your mind, to shred your body, to shred your soul, to shred you. That is the way the whole culture is set, for, uh, set up against Christians. And the only place that we can expect to find mutual edification is the church. It's that we might bless each other. That's why God says all throughout Scripture, do all things without murmuring or complaining. Quick question, does murmuring or complaining build up or tear down? Come on. And, and yet, how, what, what a propensity we have in just a thoughtless moment to say, Bleh, and we just tear people down. See, when we get oriented right, we recognize, you know, part of my mission is to build up the body of Christ. It's part of what I'm going to give an account for. It's not about preaching a sermon. It's, not, it's, not, it's easy to build you up here. Let me, let me tell you where I'm tested on this is on Monday morning. When some of y'all send me some complaining emails, I'm thinking, well, am I going to build up or am I going to tear down? The reality is, is that I have a choice and you have a choice. Part of our mission is that we might make each other stronger. That's why Paul said, esteem others better than yourselves. Paul says, hey, deprioritize you and prioritize them. And your flesh says, what? And the Spirit says, no, do it. Do it. It's going to bring glory to God. It's going to bring health to the body. So we've got outward and we've got inward as we minister to each other. Please let us be an emblem of glory for God in both of those areas. Making disciples individually, but also building up each other. I, I dare you to pray this. I dare you. I double dog dare you. <laughs> Holy Spirit, Crush me with conviction every time I'm using my words in a way that doesn't build up. Just pray it, because he's really good. He'll, he'll say, I, I love that prayer. That is an awesome prayer. I will answer that prayer every time. And he will. And, you know, here's the thing. You know, there's no danger in praying that, because ultimately, we don't want to speak words or do things or say things that, that tear down. We want to build up. Um, <laughs> 
Y'all look real tense, so let me give you just a moment. No, I'm good. I'm doing great, but I, I just, some of y'all are, you just need to unclench a little bit. It's okay. Um, when we're talking about mixed signals concerning the mission of the church, it reminds me, this is a true story. A year and a half ago, we downsized and moved to a smaller home and got a little bit closer to the church. We're still about 15 miles away, but we were doing some fix-up stuff in our house, and part of it was we had to blow in insulation in the attic. And at that time, he since moved away, so I can tell this story. It's, it's a good one. He, there was a guy here that did blow-in attic insulation. And so he's like, man, let me do that for your family. We love you guys, and we'll give you a discount. It was great. And so he came in. He blew it in, and it was just, I mean, like walking in a winter wonderland up there. You're just parting the Red Sea through, through insulation in the attic. So later on that day, I get a text from the guy. This is what it said. It said, I cannot wait to see you tonight, to wrap my arms around you, to give you a kiss as I come in the front door of our home. And I knew he had texted his woman. <laughs> but I could not let that moment go. I texted back, hey man, I just want to be friends. Why would I bring up that silly thing? One, to get you to unclench, but to, to realize miscommunication. When we're talking about mission, there's a lot of miscommunication. So as I close right now, I'm going to give you some specific things that you're going to hear more about. And you're going to see some things in this church in the next probably three to four weeks that are going to make you more and more aware of part of the mission. Because we're talking about, yes, doing it locally. But I'm going to tell you, I don't know that it's the top thrill of my heart about the merge between Newbridge and IHOP, but if it's not the top, it's right there at it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about international missions. I'm talking about Sin 56. I'm talking about Finish the Task. And I'm talking about intercessory missions that happened at IHOP Atlanta. Many of you are still don't know the paradigm, but literally there are people that walked out of the corporate world answering a call of God upon their lives to be intercessory missionaries for the end times, calling out to the Lord for His glory to be revealed in this generation. There are people that have left six-figure salaries to say, God has called me to be an intercessory missionary. So we're talking about missionaries in the prayer room. Room. We're talking about Sin 56 reaching primarily unreached Muslim groups by training nationals in Africa, in um, East Africa. And, and they go in and they, they, they train these men and these women for two years, provide for them, train them, teach them, and then dispatch them to go into villages where predominantly Muslim, Jesse Diggs is sitting right back here on the third or fourth row, and you pray for him and find out what God's doing through Sin 56 because God is using them as a tip of the spear in Africa to reach unreached Muslims with the gospel of Jesus Christ and many are being saved imams are being saved they're being converted when we're talking about finish the task this is an in-house Newbridge people folks that came from Newbridge hear me I know we're all one family but we're still making each other aware of what goes on in each community as we become one Newbridge two and a half years ago God began to lead my heart privately and independently to dismantle our foreign missions program. Quite frankly, it was stagnated. We no longer had in common some of the beliefs that we formerly had in common with some of our missionaries. And so the Lord began to lead me over a two and a half year time period to take down the missions program. I didn't know why. By the way, that's not a popular thing to do when you're having to tell missionaries, hey, in nine months we won't be able to partner with you anymore. We need to let you know so you can prepare for that. 
Nobody ever wants to cut support for missions, but I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me, take it down, but I didn't know why. This was before the merge with Cornerstone that God began to do this. Then when we merged with Cornerstone, we further reduced it. And I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? We're taking away, we're saying goodbye, but you've given us nothing to say yes to. God knew what he was doing. Because upon the merge with IHOP Atlanta, the beauty is that they have an in-house training school, a sending agency, and a missions board, a, a program there that sends people out trained in teams to go and establish houses of prayer and local churches in different parts of the world. Friends, not all of you will be called, be called to go, but I'm going to tell you, in the name of Jesus, some of you are called to go. Some of you are called to leave here and go. Some of you are called to step away from a job that you're no longer satisfied at. God has weaned your heart from that. You're no longer fulfilled. You're no longer satisfied. Some of you are getting out of school and you have no clue. God hasn't revealed to you what you're supposed to do. And what the Lord is doing, it's a divine setup for some of you. He's saying to you, I've kept everything else away from you because in a moment of time, you're going to hear my effectual call on your life to send you to places. It may be as an intercessory missionary in IHOP Atlanta. It may be finish the task going to various parts of the world, or it could be send 56. Wherever it is, the beauty of what's going on right now is the mission that God has given us is not just to gather on Sundays. We'll keep doing that. We'll gather on Wednesdays. Three people got healed in here on Wednesday night. They're healed. People crying. I love our services. That's great. But friends, we come here to gain strength, collective strength, and then we scatter. What? To do the mission that God has given us to do. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Worship team, please come. Some of you have a call on your life. Everything in the world is trying to keep you from stepping into it. The enemy hates mission. He loves it when all we try to do is grow bigger and bloated in the church house. Let's just stuff more people in here. I got stuffed pepper, amen. I hate them things. <laughs> and and that's, what, that's what Bible Belt Christianity seems to be about in a lot of places. Pack them in more. Pack them in. Put the attendance up on the big screen. No. Heavens no. No more of that stuff. Your leadership team, your pastoral leadership team, and the executive leadership team of the mission space, we've already decided that we will not ever seek to be a megachurch. We will properly steward whomever God sends. But if you're here and you're saying, let's just go bigger and bigger and more buildings and more buildings, friends, we don't need that. We need less buildings and more mission. If God wants to send 4,000 people, then God will also send a plan on how to scatter them into parts where there's not a church. There's not a representative of Jesus. You and I have the privilege. Some of you are called. Some of you have been wrestling with it. I'm sensing this deeply, like right now. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not calling you. But some of you have been wrestling with it and processing it. And, and you've got down on paper all the reasons why it would never work. And God just keeps looking at that saying, oh, that's, that's so silly. That's just, I'm God. He's calling you into a deeper vertical orientation. So the obstacles, they diminish. When you're in the presence of God, obstacles diminish. When you're outside of the presence of God, obstacles bloat. They grow. They look bigger than they actually are. But some of you, man, you're, you're, he's calling you. I'm, I'm telling you, there's going to be a generation of young people that are going to answer the call of God, I believe, in the next 10 to 20 years. And the magnitude of those people scattering for the glory of God across the globe is going to be mind-blowing. I'm praying that part of the revival that comes, and I'm believing for it, is that there's going to be people being sent out 
in, in, in numbers that, have, that the American church hasn't seen. And honestly, I, I don't mean this by anything other than being honest. I don't want to wait for some other church to, to do that. I believe the Lord, his eyes are looking and saying, who, who, what, what local assembly wants to, to have a, a measure of my touch on them that I do what they cannot do? That I, that I glorify myself through the, the simple but willing. Some of you will never be called to go, and that doesn't make you any less of a Christian. I've never been called to go and stay. I've gone, but I've never been called to go and stay. But I've known from day one of my salvation I've been called to give. That I am to, in part, fund those that are called to go. Missionaries, the nature of them is that they raise their own support. I want to go on online, on record, right here, right now, for all of us. Start giving to the missions program at Newbridge Church. We will funnel almost 100% of that money through the ministries I just mentioned. Finish the task. Send 56 and the local prayer intercessory missionaries. We need to begin to give. Some of you used to give back in the meadow days, but you haven't had anything to give to. You do now. Begin weekly or monthly to start saying, I'm going to start sowing into international missions. I'm going to start sowing into intercessory missions. And for those of us that aren't called to go, we are called to give. We're not going to build a big stockpile of money, a cash cow that we're sitting on. We get it, we give it. Why? Because Jesus Christ will return. He's coming back to earth to establish his kingdom. And I don't want to be sitting on a, a pile of money that could have been used to further the gospel. Yeah. 